0: This podcast is an examination of that research. You can find more information about this research and other topics on the website, william-branham.org. Join us as we turn back the pages of time and examine the controversial issues of William Branham and his message. Growing up in the message cult following of William Branham in the family of one of the leaders of the movement, There was a great deal of information I had access to see and hear that most members of the cult did not. My grandfather was for almost 50 years the leader of William Branham's Branham Tabernacle in Jeffersonville, and during almost all major events other leaders would discuss the details. He did not always share those details, of course, and some of the conversations were held in secret. Grandpa liked to talk, however, and discussions of those discussions often happened between the men and the family. Looking back, I really wish I'd paid more attention. I wish that I had been there with a tape recorder. Some of the details that I remember from those conversations have paid off well when used as focal points for my research. He knew so many things about so many people, and he loved to talk. I am always taken aback by the surprise on the faces of former members when they first learn that William Branham knew about and supported an authoritative commune in Prescott, Arizona, led by men most people, including William Branham, knew to be homosexual, when the cult doctrine is so strongly against homosexuality. These were men that William Branham traveled with, often alone, and entrusted to oversee his entire recorded message one of these two men was leo mercer leo mercer was one of two men that william branham entrusted for safekeeping and distribution of the message in the form of over a thousand audio recordings of sermons recorded from 1947 to 1965. along with gene goad Leo Mercer traveled with Branham to record the sermons for pleasure on hunting trips and attended private business meetings as the men planned their strategy of editing and distributing the sermons. Around 1955, the two men apparently researched some of William Branham's prophecies they found to be questionable. Though their findings were never discussed, after presented to William Branham, the two men were given full control of Branham's recording and distribution. Branham said they had formed a little FBI. In 1958, Tape Index 58-0329, William Branham says this, The boys now have the tapes, and this will be the last night they'll be able to sell them. Anything to be sold has to be finished tonight because we don't sell on Sunday we just make and i've always made that a policy we would not sell on sunday all the tapes they have some 500 messages from sometimes when we wasn't horse in the great healing lines mr mercer has them back there at the stand wherever it is i said back there at the front and you may obtain them they sell them real cheap i ordered a tape some time ago from an evangelist and it cost around nine dollars the boys sell theirs i think for three and they just barely make enough so they can stay out in the service with me this is mr mercer and mr goad one of them was catholic i don't know the other one i don't know i don't believe he belonged to any church gene and they formed themselves a little fbi to come down and find out whether those visions happened at home or not also william branham entrusted the men to become keepers of the alleged prophecies, allowing them to revise Branham's predictions and essentially rewrite message history. These alterations were not limited to minor predictions. William Branham allowed the men to alter what would become known as Branham's 1933 prophecies. In 1960, and allegedly in the form of a written document Branham read to members of his congregation, They were known as the 1932 prophecies. In 1960, Tape Index 60-1113, William Branham said, I'd like to read you a prophecy that was given, and by the way, Mr. Mercer and many of them are going to take some of these old prophecies and dig them out and revise them a little, or bring them up to date and put them in papers. I'd like to read you some of the things. This one first, I'd like to read something to you. 1932, listen to this. As I was on my way or as I was getting ready to go on my way to church this morning, it came to pass that I fell into a vision. Those who knew Leo and Jean personally were aware that the two men were homosexual, which many in the cult following believed to be an unpardonable sin. While other homosexual men in the cult following would have been excommunicated for their sexual orientation, because of their position and close relationship with William Branham, Leo and Jean were permitted to both high-ranking positions as keepers of the message in the cult and eventually leadership positions. In the year 2000, Lee Vale, one of William Branham's close associates said in the sermon, Godhead, He said, I believe it was about 1956 and no later that Leo and Jean, Leo Mercer and Jean Goad, God told Brother Branham to hire them, two homosexuals. So I want you to get the drift of what I'm saying. This is what I'm talking about here, where God made himself known and through a prophet is where men turned back and the homosexuals were standing right there to take over. And you're going to see more and more of it and you're going to see more and more corruption and you're going to see more and more people dying from AIDS. In approximately 1961, Mercer and Goad started a cult commune in the Pine Lawn Trailer Court on West Gurley in Prescott, Arizona. Families from West Virginia, Michigan, Illinois, Indiana, Kentucky, Georgia, Kansas, and even in Canada migrated west to live in the commune. Many of the families were interrelated through marriage. In 1964, William Branham dedicated the commune, nicknaming it Little Goshen, referring to the land given to the children of Israel by Pharaoh before leaving in the Exodus. Though making the comparison with a spiritual reference, Branham never publicly stated who represented the pharaoh. In 1964 Tape Index 64-0531, William Branham said, Brother Leo, Brother Gene, and Pilgrims, I deem this one of the grand privileges that I've had, to come here for myself and see what you have here on these grounds. It's a blessing as I moved across the little creek there and see this court. And one time, when Brother Leo was making the tapes, and I told him that surely there was something greater in life for him to do than to make tape. And of course, tape making is something we must do, but it's blessed us. And there's something else. We're all cut for different things to do. To come here this morning and to look at this little fine Jerusalem sitting out here, what I called Goshen and I believe when we come over this morning remember Goshen was one of the places that they worshiped one of the first places the tent was pitched and to meet old friends and new and have this time allotted to us it just seems that you just don't want to leave there's something that wants to hold you I can see why you people would want to stay here see it's something that grips you. According to government record Mercer became more authoritative after Branham's death in 1965. He began employing various forms of punishment from shunning members of the commune to physical and sexual abuse. Children were marched around the communes military style and they were physically beaten if caught talking during a march or for not properly tying their shoes. Girls were punished by cutting their hair which the cult believed to be a sin which marked females for life. Boys punished were forced to wear girls' clothing. Evidence collected by the police investigation confirmed that children were sexually abused. Some of the families were forced to live separate, while others were forced to work as Mercer's personal servant. Education was devalued in the cult based on William Branham's doctrinal statements against education. Many children dropped out of school yet were forced to marry and have children at age 18. Also following Branham's doctrinal teaching, children were taught that those outside of the cult were atomic fodder and would all die while those in the cult following would be saved. Mercer held authority over the sexual relations of the group Former members of the group described enforced abstinence for weeks at a time and government record confirms forced sexual relations between men and women in the commune. Men who refused were beaten. In 2008, People v. Loker in the California Supreme Court, the transcript reads, Mercer forced Danny and Mark to live with different families for about three years. Shortly before the defendant's birth, the elder boys left the park to live with their father. Roger Loker was perceived as homosexual by church members. He was beaten so that he would have marital relations with Marietta, leading to the conception of the defendant and his older sister, Hannah. When defendant was beaten, 18 and 30 months old, Marietta would leave him at home for an hour at a time to run errands for Mr. Mercer. Defendant did not speak except perhaps to say mama until he was three years old. Mercer ordered Marietta to whip and slap him because he was being stubborn.